We come to the last chapter of the books of Samuel, page 326, 2 Samuel 24. Second Samuel 24, page 326. May God speak to us by his spirit as we read this so that even the very reading of it may strike our hearts. Second Samuel 24. Again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he incited David against them, saying, Go, number Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Go through all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and number the people, that I may know the number of the people. But Joab said to the king, May the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as they are, while the eyes of the Lord my king still see it. But but why does my lord the king delight in this thing? But the king's word prevailed against Joab and the commanders of the army. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. They crossed the Jordan and they began from Aror and from the city that is in the middle of the valley toward Gad and on to Jazer. And they came to Gilead and to Kadesh in the land of the Hittites. And then they came to Dan. And from Dan, they went around to Sidon and came to the fortress of Tyre and to all the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites. And then they went out to the Negev of Judah at Beersheba. And when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. And Joab gave the sum of the numbering of the people to the king. In Israel, there were 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword, and the men of Judah were 500,000. But David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I've sinned greatly in what I have done, but now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. And when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, go and say to David, thus says the Lord, three things I offer you. Choose one of them that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and told him and said to him, shall three years of famine come to you in your land? Or will you flee three months before your foes, before they pursue you? Or shall there be three days pestilence in your land? Now consider and decide what answer I shall return to him who sent me. Then David said to Gad, I'm in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But let me not fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel from the morning until the appointed time. So for three days. And there died of the people from Dan to Beersheba 70,000 men. And when the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who was working destruction among the people, it's enough. Now stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people. And he said, behold, I have sinned and I've done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. 
And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arunah the Jebusite. So David went up at Gad's word as the Lord commanded. And when Arunah looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Arunah went out and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. And Arunah said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? David said, To buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord so that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Aruna said to David, let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All this, O king, Aruna gives to the king. And Aruna said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you. The king said to Aruna, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God. That cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord responded to the plea for the land. And the plague was averted from Israel. This is the Lord's word, congregation. May he bless us by it. Brothers and sisters, through Jesus Christ, it's been a long tour through Samuel, 55 chapters. But we started in Ruth, so you add four more, 59 chapters. Thank you for your patient endurance. For some of you, it was like, uh, when do we get the next sermon on Samuel? And for some of others, it was, when are we going to be done with this? But may the Lord God have glorified himself by showing us King Jesus. Because that's what this book or these books of Samuel are all about. First about the king that Israel chose, Saul, and what a failure that was. And in Saul's time, the Philistines basically took over. Israel was in danger of losing everything to the Philistines. And then in his place, God raised up David, the man of his choosing, the man after his own heart. And through David, the Philistines were pushed back and Israel regained its proper territory. And that's the whole purpose of the king. King for Israel, fulfilled in Jesus Christ, is to redeem Israel from all her enemies, but especially from all her iniquities. And we think, this is sort of a weird and not very victorious ending. David's sin, God's anger, and his sacrifice. And the threshing floor of Arunah the Jebusite. A little piece of land bought by David just outside of Jerusalem. But brothers and sisters, this is the perfect ending place for Samuel. This is the cross. These books take us to the cross. That's where we need to be. That's where we need to camp. That's where we need to live. In, at, in, and out of the cross of Jesus Christ. So this book takes us to the cross. We want to see three things here. Sin against God by David and Israel. God's anger against David and Israel. And then thirdly, 
God's mercy at the altar. Sin against God, it starts with David's census of Israel. Well, not really. It starts before that. But David instructs Joab, the commander of his army, go and number Israel and Judah. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. The book of Exodus says you have to take a census of the people. And as you count them, anybody over 20 pays the temple shekel, the shekel for the upkeep of the sanctuary. Exodus 30 gives that requirement. Nothing wrong with a census. So what's going on here? What's the problem? But there's lots more going on here than meets the eye. First of all, how did this idea get into David's head to count the people? Then we'll ask, what was wrong with it? But how did it get into his head? And verse 1 is so strange, it doesn't fit our theology. I don't like verse 1. Again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, go number Israel and Judah. This was God putting it into the head of David to commit this sin? And God did this to David so that he would have a a reason to punish Israel because Israel was living in sin. We don't know what her sin was. God is behind this. He's angry at all Israel. We aren't told why. Earlier in chapter 21... We saw that he was angry with Israel because of Saul's genocide of the Gibeonites. And so they had three years of famine. And that's when David, remember, offered up seven sons and grandsons of Saul to make atonement. And then God relented of the famine and he brought rain again. But here we have the same kind of thing. But this time we're not told why God is angry with Israel. Something's going on. Because the problem, the problem is not because God's the angry type. The problem is that we are the disobedient type. That's the issue. We easily wander from him. We easily go our own way. We become spiritually lazy and prayerless. Maybe we're in that spot right now. We become unthankful, complaining, and grumbling. We become covetous and envious. We fight with each other. So what it was this time, we don't know, but it's not that God's the angry type. It's that Israel, we are the disobedient type, and there's an issue. So God, for his own glory, chooses to deal with it this way. I'm going to have David number the people and commit sin And that's the reason I'm going to bring punishment to the whole land. So he incited David against them saying, go number Israel and Judah. Pardon me. God, you got Israel in trouble by having David count the people, commit the major sin of counting Israel. So that Israel would get hurt, punished. Disciplined and humble itself before the Lord and seek his mercy and his anger would be taken care of and their relationship restored. Your ways, Lord, are way beyond ours. 
And to make it more complicated, when you read this account in 1 Chronicles 21, it says Satan incited David to count the Israelites. Now we got trouble. Is it God that incited David? That's too big for our minds. Now you're saying it's Satan? But it's like the book of Job. Satan tries to destroy Job. But behind it all, God is at work accomplishing his own glory. That's what's going on here. We say, why? Because that's the way it is. God gets to decide how he's going to do his glorious work. And so David counts the people, but notice, David can't blame God. You made me do it. Nor can he blame Satan. You made me do it. Because when he's done counting, his heart is struck. I made me do it. This was, came from himself. God was in control. Satan tempted. This is David's thing. He acknowledges later in verse 10, this is his own idea coming from his own heart. He's got nobody to blame but himself. And that's the, always the way, brothers and sisters, when we sin, we can't say, God arranged it, it's his fault. Yes, he did arrange it. Satan made me do it, it's his fault. Satan did tempt me. But we need to say, it was me, O oh Lord, the sin was in my heart. That's what I wanted to do. I take the blame. Please forgive me. Please restore me. And please help me carry the consequences willingly. One more question. Why was this census, census a sin when God called for a regular census? Again, there's a lot we don't know in this passage. But we know there was a wrong motive in it. Because Job, who's a warmonger and usually not against stuff like this, says, tell me, he says, may God multiply us a hundred times. Like, number is great, but why? That's the question. Why does my Lord the King delight in this thing? Objection overruled by David. Go and count him. So they do, Job and the commanders. And as they count, the Bible itself gives you an idea of what's going wrong here. They start in a roar, Transjordan. They go up through Gilead, Kadesh, land of the Hittites, all the way to Dan. Go across to the western side, Sidon, Tyre, the cities of the Canaanites, all the way down to the Negev, the south of Judah, and back home to Jerusalem and say, we got it. 1.3 million soldiers. Wait. I think here we have a clue. Wait. You're not counting the people. This is not a census. You're counting the army. You're preparing for war. Okay? Is that a problem? 
when you look at this territory where they counted, that covers everything God promised Abraham in Genesis 15 in his covenant. In the times of Saul, the nations were taking over, but David threw them out. We read that in his song of victory in 2 Samuel 22 as well. They've got all the land God promised. And now David's not satisfied. I want more. I want more. Well, what's next? Edom, Moab? God said in Deuteronomy, that's not for you. You may not take that. Seems to me it's the sin of greed. God has blessed us. He's built his kingdom Now we're no longer in it for God. We're in it for ourselves. I'm not satisfied anymore with enough. I want more. I want more. I want bigger. I want better. It's not about God's glory anymore. It's not about the kingdom of Christ anymore. Now it's about me and my glory. That's where this is going. And this may be Israel's sin at this time, smugness and pride and desire for more than God gave. So that David's sin and Israel's sin are in lockstep with each other. We're not told, but that's the indication here. And can't we get exactly that way? God blesses us. And he does so for his glory and for his kingdom and for his church. And then suddenly it becomes about me and building my own kingdom and my own glory and my own power and my own wealth and prestige. And I'm not sad. I can't can't put down the the sword anymore. I got to keep going. It's never enough. And it becomes about our earthly glory. And we have to say, it's enough. God has blessed me. I'm here for his kingdom. I'm here for his glory. I'm here for his Christ. And I need to be able to see when looking for more is no longer looking for him, but for me. That takes wisdom. That takes the Holy Spirit. That takes the word. That takes talking with brothers and sisters. But we need to see that. Well, that brought God's anger out against not just David, but Israel, we see secondly. Now, the next section, under the second heading there in the passage, verse 10, is really very beautiful. The last time, remember with Bathsheba and Uriah, David sits and sits and he sits and he sits on that sin and finally Nathan's got to confront him. This time, Gad confronts him after he confesses. He is struck by his deed when the counting is done. 
And he says to the Lord, I've sinned greatly in what I've done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. No excuses. I I meant, well, (laughs) no excuses. Lord, you incited me. Satan tempted, no, no excuses. I have done straight out confession and self-blame and plea for mercy and forgiveness. It really comes down to the knowledge of God. When you know your God is big with mercy, then you dare. That's an open door for you to take your sin, your transgression, your waywardness to the Lord. And isn't this where we should be at when we sin? That it doesn't take a prophet to confront us or an earthquake to trouble us and bring us to our knees. But from our own hearts filled with the Holy Spirit, we're struck. And it reminds me of King Josiah. Remember they lost, believe it or not, the Bible in the temple of the Lord? How do you lose the Bible in the church? Happens a lot, doesn't it? But they lost the the law in the temple of the Lord and they're cleaning the temple under Josiah's instruction. They find the law, they read it to him and he tears his robes and he humbles himself. And the Lord says, because your heart was tender. Because your heart was tender. Do I have a tender heart? Do you have a tender heart towards your own sin? Or do you need Nathan the prophet? Or Gad the prophet. We can be in that spot, right? Where we're living in sin. The way we're living. The way we're treating. Our wife. Our husband. Our employee. The way you're using your phone or your computer. The way you're wasting your life. The way you're talking to your parents. And just go on and on and on and let it get deeper and deeper and deeper and grow bigger and bigger and bigger until your whole life unravels. We can do that. Why, why don't we just confess and get it taken care of right up front? Now. Let the Lord strike your heart. So you don't let it go and grow and put repentance on the back burner for a later date after how many people, how much of your family, how much of your life gets wrecked. So let's not wait until our sin grows and starts to cause more and more damage. Ask God, help me, Lord, to be sensitive to my sin. Fill me with your spirit even for that. To be sensitive to my sin so that it may convict me before it gets out of hand. Convict me quickly. And then God who's great in love and rich in mercy, he will hear you, help you, and restore you. He'll forgive you. Because he's provided for us in Jesus a full atonement. It's all covered. But that doesn't mean he won't prescribe some medication called consequences to help us grow from it. 
And that's what happens to David. He's sinning against the Lord. He confesses it. He's forgiven. But the whole land is wandering from the Lord. And God uses this now to bring about crisis and change. Not just in David's life, but the whole church. So the next morning, Gad sends, or God sends Gad, the prophet, to visit the repenting, tender-hearted king to offer him three options. What do you want? Three years of famine? Just went through that. It was horrible. Three months of war? Enemies being defeated in war? Or three days of pestilence from the hand of God, of plague, of pandemic? Which do you want? I, I could hear maybe, wait, wait, I asked for forgiveness. I, I thought we were all good, God. I don't really like any of these options. Can we just skip the pain part? That's how we like to think of forgiveness. You say, I'm sorry. I say, I'm sorry, you forgive me, and now let's just not do anything more about it. I don't want any consequences to go with it. But you know, that's not often the Lord's way. He forgives freely. He says, I will not hold it against you, and he means it. He, he won't break the relationship. He won't abandon you. He'll always be with you. But God says, I'm your heavenly father, and I want you to grow from this. I want to train you as a wise and loving father. So David, you've got three options. We're going into the school of affliction. And you get to pick which school the nation's going to go through. And then the believer says, yes, Lord, you're a merciful God. I accept the consequences from your hand because I trust you in this. So David chooses option three. Famine? Give yourself to nature, red and tooth and claw? Uh-uh. Enemies? <laughs> Let's go into the hands of a God who knows what mercy is. So he says to Gad, I'm in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But let me not fall into the hand of man. I'll take the hard-hitting pestilence, three days of bubonic plague, or whatever it was, some kind of pestilence. Three days. It was awful. The angel of death begins to go throughout the land. 70,000 men were killed in three days. That's a 5% death loss among the fighting men. If the population of Israel was 7 million, a 1% death loss across Israel in three days. And he's not done. He's coming up to the capital city now to finish the job. He's just at the threshing floor of Aruna, ready to cross the wall into Jerusalem, the angel of death. And God says, stop. He says to the angel, stop. It's enough. 
Now stay your hand. The God of mercy says, stop. And it happens right there outside the city. It's like God saying to Abraham on Mount Moriah, stop, don't lay your hand on the child. Let him go. Don't plunge the knife. And David is struck by his sin again as he sees the death toll mounting. You know, he had just been counting his soldiers and now he's counting bodies, dead bodies. And the Lord said, stop, but the, the hand is the sword is still drawn. It's not sheathed. And David prays, I have sinned. Verse 17, I've done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and my father's house. Put the sword in me instead. Let these people go. Wow. It's a picture of Christ. Put the sword in me. Let these people go. Strike the shepherd. Spare the sheep. Habakkuk prayed, Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. And that's what's happening here. In wrath, the Lord remembers mercy, and he doesn't give the people what they deserve. He stops the plague. I, I love one of those prayers, you know, that we have in the back of our hymnals, the old hymnal, the new one. And there's, there's a prayer for God's people in distress. And here's one of the lines. Merciful God and Father, teach us to truly know our misery and bear patiently your chastisements, which as far as our merits are concerned, could have been 10,000 times more severe. We deserve 10,000 times worse. But we know that these are not tokens of your wrath, but of your fatherly love towards us so that we might not be condemned with the world. Isn't that lovely? These are tokens of your love. We're forgiven. These are tokens of your love. Christ took the punishment. The punishment is out of it. When God disciplines us, the punishment is out of it. And the love is in it. God's love. Stop. Stay your hand. It's enough. But our last question is, how do we get that sword back in its sheath? And that's the third point. Mercy at the altar. How do you get the sword back in its sheath? David builds an altar. The sword is drawn by the angel and he's right above Aruna's head, right above the threshing floor of Aruna. And David buys that plot of ground and he builds an altar. But here's the lovely thing. The altar is not David's idea. It's God's. Look at that in verses 18 and 19. And Gad came that day to David and said to him, go up, raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arun of the Jebusites. So David went up at Gad's word as the Lord commanded. The altar of sacrifice that takes away sin and averts God's wrath and punishment is God's idea. It's God's love. It's a gift. 
So David did some ancient Near Eastern dickering with Aruna. And Aruna is working away at the grain harvest with his servants and his yoke of oxen. And as he's David coming, verse 21, why has my Lord come to his servant? And David said to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be averted from the people. And I love Aruna's answer. To avert the plague? <laughs> I'm giving it to you. Here, the threshing floor is yours. Here, kill my oxen. Use them for the sacrifice. Take the wood of the yoke. Use it for the wood on, on the altar. Back in those days, a farmer had one tractor. And his livelihood depended on it. That tractor was Aruna's oxen and yoke. It's yours. Do we love Israel that much? That we would say, if this is for the good of the people and the glory of God, you can have everything. Don't you love Aruna's devotion, his piety, his love? David says, I will not make an offering that costs me nothing. That's right, too. That's right, too. So he bought it, and then he offered two offerings, a whole burnt offering. It's called the Holocaust in the Bible, the Old Testament. The whole thing goes up in smoke. The whole thing is destroyed. That's the cross. Where God puts our sin and his wrath on a substitute, and the whole thing gets destroyed. And then a peace offering. Now that sin is taken care of and God's anger is removed. We have peace with God. And God gives us peace with himself through the blood of Christ. And so then we have that last line. So the Lord responded to the plea for the land and the plague was averted from Israel. There's one last thing we need to know. This plot of ground is super, super important in the history of Israel. Chronicles tells us this is Mount Moriah. This is the mountaintop where Abraham offered his son Isaac to God. And as his sword was up, God said, stop. And he stayed his sword. Later, it became the place where Solomon built the temple and where the offer of burnt offering was found, where hundreds of thousands of lambs were offered. And later, literally, this became Calvary, or next door to it. Many people believe that the second temple had this spot outside and this was Golgotha. We're not sure of that, but it's either on it or near it. Where the knife was extended over Jesus and God did not say stop. He did not say it is enough. He plunged it through his son 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. The sword was stayed above Jerusalem. It was stayed above Isaac, but it was not stayed above Jesus. He took the blow for us. It happened at Calvary. It happened at the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. And in him, the plague is averted. The wrath of God is gone. And we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This book takes us directly to the cross because that's where we need to live. At the cross, in the cross, out of the cross so we can live freely as the children of God. Amen. Thank you, Father, for a glorious ending to Samuel where the story of the king takes us right to the spot where Pilate said, behold your king, crucified for us. That we might be spared and the sword of death may be sheathed and we might have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Give us faith to come to him with all our sins and all our needs and trust. There's abounding mercy with God through Jesus Christ. Lead us to him so that we might live in that glorious freedom and peace of the children of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.